Today I will be reading for you and also preaching for you out of Hebrews chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. Hear now the word of God. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifices for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also, Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, Today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of Christ. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are those who are here knowing that apart from the sanctifying blood of Christ, we are beset with tremendous weakness and tremendous sin. We come here seeking to dwell upon the word of hope that we have this great high priest, Jesus Christ. Help our minds and our hearts, though not fathomable in full, to understand how Jesus came in the flesh, became beset with our weakness, so that you might exalt him for eternal righteousness and glory, that we would share in that. Father, help us now to have that hope increased in us, convict us, humble us, so that we might also be exalted with him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, getting back into Hebrews after a short little stay in Ezekiel last week, just a quick review to remember the words that I have mentioned almost every time, the considered Jesus. This is obviously, as any sermon should be, is that we should be focused on Jesus. But Hebrews particularly is very repetitive and very clear that Jesus is wonderful, great, he's the best. And so we continue to go into this passage remembering that we are focused very intently and very precisely on Jesus Christ. And as we learn from chapter 4 that as we even go into this passage and as we consider Jesus Christ as our great high priest, we are to strive to enter into that rest that he's accomplished, to trust God at his promise, to hold fast this confession about Jesus Christ, and to draw near to the throne of grace, the throne of grace and mercy, knowing that this particular throne, that the throne that Jesus Christ sits on, is full of grace and mercy and is for us in a time of need. It's not just a grace and mercy that is for us at the end of time. It is a time that we are already in, that he provides us grace and mercy, that nourishes us and strengthens us, Today. Now, 
This particular doctrine of Jesus Christ being the great high priest is up there with the Trinity. Now, a lot of times when we think about high priest, I think we all have our ideas of what a priest is and what we think of a high priest. And if you've studied the Old Testament, you know some of the responsibilities that the priesthood has. But I wonder if we really understand in this particular chapter today is to help us to understand just what wondrous thing it is that Jesus Christ became the great high priest. Now, he is the fulfillment of all priesthood, but that the fact that he became a priest, that God himself became a priest, I don't know if we've grasped fully. Maybe you all have, but as I have studied this passage myself, I became more and more amazed at what a priest is and what it means that Jesus would be the great high priest. I'd like to ask you all, what, what do you think of, just real quickly, what are some things that you think of when you think about the high priest? Yes. Okay, a priest who tells people about Jesus and about the Word of God. They are definitely being motivated by the Word of God, and then what they're representing is telling us definitely about who Jesus is. What else do you think about when you think about priest? You think about garments? Okay. What's so unique about their garments? Well, when you look at the Old Testament, I don't remember off the top of my head, there's just so much detail and specific symbolism behind what they're wearing in their ephod. Mm-hmm. They have this, this the thing they wear, and, and it's all very specific and all mm-hmm. very purposeful. Okay. And it's meant to project something. Okay, very good. Sacrifice. Sacrifice. Very good. Richard? Um, pronouncement of cleanliness from leprosy. So cleanliness, pronouncing of cleanliness from leprosy. They have a particular job of pronouncing cleanliness. So you see sacrifice. You see this ceremony. You also see cleansing being a part of their role. Yes, Joe? King. King? Well, not so much. It's a different role. You're being kind of sneaky there by throwing king at me there. That's not typically what we think of when we think of priests. In the Old Testament, we don't see that the priesthood were the kings. They had a particular role, but you're maybe getting a little bit ahead of me in this sermon today. Yes? Weren't they the only ones that could go into the mercy seat? They were the ones to go before the Lord. They were being a representative of the people, but there was a holiness there that they had to, there wasn't, not just anyone could go before the Lord to present these sacrifices for sin. We are, obviously, we are reminded of the weakness of mankind and the need for there to be some kind of mediator. I was hoping that somebody would say mediator, that there had to be a go-between because we couldn't just go before the Lord. And so the Lord would call a group of people, and he called the line of Aaron, called the Levites, to be those people who would have this specific job that would represent the people, but would put before God a pointing to the sacrifice necessary for our sins, which is why the first answer is correct, because that sacrifice is always proclaiming Jesus Christ. But there's here in this passage, it tells us three particular things that are attributes of what it is to be a priest. That is an amazing thing when you think about Jesus Christ being God, that he, had, he, were, he was these three things. Now, I'm getting ahead of myself. I need to just back up just for a second here. 
Last week, I, in the last two weeks, we were in, already in the passage about the great high priest, but I was finishing up about how we were entering into the rest that this great high priest had done. But I wanted to go back to 414 just really quickly because we have this term here that's important for us to carry into chapter 5. In 414, it says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. This, this title that Jesus had is that he's not just a priest, he's not just a high priest, he is the great high priest. And that is so important for us to remember, especially in light of everything that we're seeing that Hebrews is highlighting, is the greatness of Jesus. Now I'm going to ask you another question that you might find silly for a second, but does anybody know what the name Megan means? Anybody know a Megan? Yeah, I know a few Megans. I actually have a, one of my uh, vice presidents in the company I work with. I don't know who she is, but I know everybody's talking about how she's, Megan is coming to, to Lebanon, and it's a big deal. Her and three other vice presidents were scrambling around, getting the building all nice because Megan is coming, and, uh, and it's an interesting name. Does anybody know what the name Megan means? Have you ever thought about it? I haven't either. <laughs> I've never thought about it either, but it's, a, it's actually here in the Bible. What it says here in the Greek, before it says high priest, that Jesus, that since then we have a Megan, if you were going to stop and say Greek for a moment, high priest. We have a Megan high priest. Megan means great. <laughs> it means wondrous means the greatest, means big. If you think about it, some people, if you're into sharks, you know, they, they, they have a particular shark that's called the Meg Shark or the Megalon, Megalothon Shark or something. It's one of the largest sharks that it is, and that's where it gets its name. And, it, and it's actually connected in the Latin derivative of the word pearl. So it's this great and precious. And even more, if you want to know more about the name, that Margaritas is connected to Meg also. So when you think about a margarita, it's not so much because it's a great drink. It's a precious drink or a name of a person named Margarita. But Meg means great, and it's a, a very astounding greatness. It's the greatest. Going back to, again, how the writer of the Hebrews is magnifying that with Jesus Christ, he surpasses all other high priests. He is the great high priest. Now, when we think about Jesus Christ being the high priest, it makes sense to us when we're thinking about all the terms that we're thinking of, that he's the only one that can go in the Holy of Holies. He's the only one that can stand before the Lord. We understand that because he's righteous. But the writer of the Hebrews, as, even though he's, as he's saying in one breath, he's talking about the greatness of Jesus Christ, he is also talking about the weakness of Jesus Christ. This is what I'm saying. This is kind of like the doctrine of the Trinity. It's something that I don't think we can get our minds fully around, but it's important for us to try to attempt as closely as we can understand that on one side, we need to see how great, even more great than our minds can even see. It's almost like he's beyond that place in the, in the sky where eventually you lose the ability to focus. He's that great. But at the same time, we should see that that greatness is one part because he was actually a priest. He is the high priest. He's the great high priest. But he took on the role of priesthood. And it says here in verse 1, it says, For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed 
to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. So first we see that an attribute of a high priest is that he is among men. It's the three A's of attributes of of a high priest. One, he's among men. And that should blow our mind right there, that Jesus was incarnate in the flesh, that for him to be the great high priest, he had to first become man. He had to take on flesh. That the order that the Lord had, he didn't just say, you know what, this priestlyhood thing is just a a prop for us to understand. No, it is an activity. It is the ceremony, the action is necessary. There had to be a man who was in the place of priesthood that would be able to stand before the holy God. And so the fact that he became like the other high priest by being among men is something that we need to dwell upon. That it would not have been possible for him to be the great high priest apart from the fact that he was among men that was chosen. Secondly, he was appointed. He was appointed by God. This was not a thing that he says here in the passage that Jesus himself did not exalt himself to be made high priest. He did not take on this role as an activity of just him making himself high priest. He had to be in submission to an appointment from God the Father. This highlights again the amazing fact that the righteous Son of God was in submission to his Father. That he was in submission to the priesthood. That he had to be appointed to this particular role. And then third A, he acted on behalf of men. He was doing this work. It is a work that he did, that even when we think about rest and we think about Sabbath, that Jesus says that this is a good work to be doing when the priests were doing this thing, that they were profaning the Sabbath in a sense that they had to do this particular work on the Sabbath, that he was working, he was acting on behalf of men. That he took on these three attributes of the high priest for himself, Remember, again, that that is the Son of God that we're talking about. And what makes him so great is that he is the greatest one to take on that role. He is the only one who could go in there and not have to provide sacrifices for his own sin. But even though he doesn't have to provide sacrifices for his own sin, there is something special about verse 2 here. It says he can deal gently with the ignorant. Now he's talking about, they're talking about regular high priests here. He can deal gently with the ignorant and the wavered since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifices for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. Those two particular verses, we can see, well, there's a distinction that's different from Jesus. And there, it is different But then in a sense, it's not. I want to think about this word beset. This word beset means to encompass, to even hang around the neck. It's the same Greek word that was used when Jesus warned that those who would cause little believers to stumble, that it would be better to have a millstone hung around his neck. And here it says that this priest, that normal priest, they were also beset with weakness And they had their own sins that they had to provide sacrifice for. 
And so we would quickly think, well, this is a distinction from Jesus that he's totally removed from this particular portion. And this is where the oxymoronic paradox is, is that he actually takes on that responsibility while remaining free from sin. That he becomes beset with weakness on our behalf. That he takes on, he hangs, instead of hanging around the neck his own weakness and his own sin, he was hung on to sin, our sin, on the cross. Romans chapter 8 in verse 3, we see that he was beset for our benefit because it says here, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Here we see that Jesus was sent, that his sending to this particular role, his submission to this particular priesthood, was that he would become in the likeness of sinful flesh and for the sake of sin. That in this priesthood role that he has been chosen among men, that he's been appointed and submitted to this role as priest, But this particular act that he does for the people, this is where it gets to be amazing that he actually becomes beset with sin and weakness. But it's our sin and weakness. See, the thing that we don't think about when we think about a calling of a priest is that the calling of the priest is that it is a human person standing as a mediator between a righteous God and an unrighteous people, and that he himself is also weak. Now, Jesus didn't have to provide sacrifice for his own sin, but he became, he became sin. How do we know this? In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, for our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We have to understand that one of the roles of the priesthood was to be weak, to be lowly, to be in submission, to be of the flesh. That usually when we think of high priest, and it's probably the word high that throws us off, we usually think, well, this is probably someone who's really good. No, we think about Aaron, all right? Let us not be deceived. About where do, you know, what do we see when we see Aaron in the Old Testament? Is he normally a very stellar character guy right off the bat? No, he's one who's beset with weakness. In the Levites, they were, it, this was a particular uh, heritage that they had. It, it wasn't like they did something to gain this role. This was appointed to them. This was called upon them. And it was a role that was highlighting even their own weakness. When we think about the high priest, we must think of this role of a lowly servitude calling. And that Jesus is the greatest of it. Because he didn't just have to go in there because of his own sins or those particular people at that particular time. He went before the righteous father, beset 
with the sins of the world and the weakness of the world. That he took on the lowliest role of priesthood so that he might be the greatest and exalting the glory of God. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13 through 14, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So when we think about priesthood, when we think about Jesus being the great high priest, we see this tremendous besetting for our benefit, that there's this exchange, that he became the likeness of sinful flesh for sin so that the law might be fulfilled in us. Every time that we see this exchange of Jesus' weakness, we see our benefit. We see our great reward. It says that becoming a curse for us, being hanged on a tree, that we might receive the promised spirit. That this lowly acting on behalf of men, the lowest of acting, the greatest lowest acting service that one could do was so that we might receive the promise. That this one who became to be sin, who knew no sin, there's no confusion here, just as we see that he is able to sympathize without sin in verse 15. He is one who became sin, but did not know sin, so that we might receive the benefit of the righteousness of God. So it's important that we understand this first verse here. It's important for us to understand how great Jesus' high priestly role is because of how low his servitude role was in this. And it says here in verse 2 that a regular priest can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward. When we go to the Old Testament and we think about the different things the priests had to do and respond, there were different kinds of sins that were for the ignorant and for the wayward. There are sins out there, and you all know these things, that there are some things out there, you know people, that they don't realize that how sinful they are. They don't realize that what they're doing is sinful, but they're still without excuse. And the Bible recognizes that distinction. There's, there's sins of ignorance, and then there's sins of waywardness. There's when you have a, a known understanding of your sin. I know a lot of times when, we're, when I'm stuck with a difficult decision in my family, when my children are trying to do something and I don't want them to do that or I'd rather them go another way and there's disagreement and I finally just have to put my foot down and I have to say, okay, this is the way it's got to be. And I'm sometimes like, I don't know. You know, even with our little Jackson, you know, like, you know, how to respond to his difficulties sometimes is like, I don't really know the answer. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I think that we're basing everything that we're doing off of principle here. And that likely I realize that in the middle of those decisions that I might still be very wrong and I might actually be doing a very wrong thing to my family. But I pray that those are moments of ignorance. Now, there are other times when there's things that I'm doing that when my heart is in a dark place and maybe I'm holding on to bitterness or I'm, I'm holding on to some kind of grudge in some way that I know it and I, it's, it's contemplative in my mind and I, I still hold on to it for just a little while longer and then I might even speak with bitterness. 
And then there's the waywardness that is a known sin. The amazing thing here is that a priest can deal gently with those who are ignorant and wayward because he knows himself to be beset with weakness and with sin. And this is the amazing thing that we would think that, well, because Jesus is not beset with his own weakness and his own sin, that he has every right just to be harsh, and he does, and he has every right to destroy us, that in this particular word here, brothers and sisters, this gently is the good news. Because in that particular role that he is taking on as priest, it's not a distinctive element of the attribute of priesthood. It's actually an elevated distinction that because he has gone through, he can sympathize with our weakness because he has gone through and he has been tempted. And he's not only been tempted in human flesh, he actually carried our sin. But he can be gentle with us because he has taken on the fullness of the wrath of the Father. That word gentle is only represented by the priest and how they act because they are sinners too. But Jesus can elevate it to the height because he actually removed the harshness. He removes the weight of the wrath. So here's where we have really strong application. You... Brothers and sisters, what does the New Testament say? Who are priests today? Does anybody know what the New Testament says about the priest today? We are a priesthood. Now, the amazing thing is, is that we don't just have the shadows that the high priest of the Old Testament has. We have the great high priest. So how do you think our posture toward other sinners should be? Both the ignorant and the wayward. We should be taking on this role of gentleness. It doesn't mean that we become ignorant with them or become wayward by speaking against God's word, by giving people a stumbling block to, that would allow them to continue in their sin. We don't ignore their sin. We don't become aloof to sin. We don't celebrate by all means. We do not celebrate their sin, which many of our churches are doing today or things that are called churches are doing today. But we are to speak the truth with gentleness. Here we are called to be of the, of the priesthood of believers. So we too, because we know our own sin, because we know our own weakness, we should be those who are granting the grace of gentleness to other people. And in verse 5 it says that, So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made high priest, but was appointed by him. We need to understand that our particular callings, we are not on our own. Now, if Jesus Christ, and get this, people, brothers and sisters, wake up if you're asleep, get this, that we, in the independent American world today, we think that we can just, you know, and you've been told this ever since you're a child, and so in some sense there is this ignorance about you. You can be anything you want to be. Did anybody ever get that? I mean, I know that's a pretty stereotypical thing. When I was a kid, I did hear that. I heard that from teachers, and I've heard that from you know, people who are supposed to be inspiring you, self-help people. You, know, you can be anything you set your mind to. Now, Jesus Christ, who is the righteous Son of God, it says here in verse 5 that he 
himself did not exalt himself to be made high priest. That to be even in this particular role of servitude for God, that he had to be appointed to the particular role. So not only should we understand that as we are the priesthood of believers, that we are those who should be gentle and humble, and that should be encompassing the understanding of the gospel, that we should be those who are repenting and believing, and our repentance is understanding our sinfulness, and our believing is trusting in Christ, and and our boasting is in Him alone. We should also be those who are motivated and who are acting in our particular roles of understanding that we are appointed to particular callings. That these are marching orders from God. That we don't just have a a smorgasbord of things that we like to do and whatever we feel like we're doing. No, we are to be those who are in submission to our appointment and whatever that appointment may be. And if you are those who hold on to Christ and you want to hold on to the hope of Christ, it is to be the priesthood of believers. And so when we pray, we are in some respects, we are mediating for one another. We are standing in between and asking the Lord's grace and mercy, but not because of our own strength, but again, because of Christ, because he is the great sacrifice. But when we think about anything that we should do, we should understand that if Jesus himself had to humble himself to the point to be appointed to his own role of ministry, which is just amazing for me to think. Remember, this is not something that I could actually expect that our minds could fully come around. That we too should be those who are understanding that we are called. And that we're not just doing whatever we feel like, whatever makes us happy. We should be seeking to be appointed by God. So here we understand that just as we see a little bit of a hint in in chapter 4 about how we have this great high priest who can sympathize with our weakness, we almost see a reversal here in the pace. We start out in chapter 5 with understanding that Jesus himself became weak by becoming among men, being that who is appointed, and he's having to act upon the behalf of the men who actually became sin, beset with weakness himself, But then the writer of the Hebrews is going to flip it around now. So as now we have a better understanding of the weakness of priesthood, look what he does here. As he continues with verse 5, he says, But appointed by him who said to him, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. This is where it gets to be back to maybe just a little bit back to where we're thinking and going way beyond that here as he's talking about the priesthood of Jesus Christ, the great priesthood of Jesus Christ, and he's talking about the appointment, we have to understand who is being appointed here and we are reminded that this is the Son of God who's appointed to this role. And he's, he's referencing once again a second time in the book of Hebrews, he's re- referencing Psalm 2. And let me read Psalm 2 for you real quickly. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst the bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs and the Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. 
I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise and be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Psalm 2 does not sound like the same sentiment that we see in the lowly role of the high priest. What we see here in Psalm 2 is a king that's been anointed. This is why Joe's answer is actually correct in some sense, though it wasn't meant to be, that he is speaking of a priest king that has this power, this sun king, that has this power and wrath that is to be feared. And this is why the, the word gentle that we see, this gently word that we see there in Hebrews, is so amazing because we see that he can deal gently with those that he has carried their sin At the same time, he is the one who is full of wrath that we see in Psalm 2. We see this reigning king that will break to pieces, dash to pieces, his enemies. We have this great sun king who has this power that is to be feared, that is also the one who has been appointed to this role of priest. For us, it's a contrasting understanding. Priest and king, those don't work together. But with Jesus, they are merged into one. And then he says, and he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Psalm 110 The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. The Lord sends them forth from Zion, your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments from the womb of the morning. The dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. This again is the priest king. This is a kingly psalm. And the writer of the Hebrews, as he is saying that Jesus became among men, he became appointed to the role, was acting on behalf of men, being reminded that he too became beset with weakness, is the same one who has been given that appointment to this great high priest role because he is the great son of God and the great king. This is where the gospel becomes complete. That he's not just some mamby-pamby nice God that's just decided to let things slide. That he's just going to get along to get along. No, he's the righteous, wrathful God who deals gently with those 
who his son has taken the wrath on their behalf, who's taken on that weakness and that sin so that they can stand before a holy and righteous God. Last question for the day. What does the name Melchizedek mean? Does anybody know what Melchizedek means? King of righteousness. He is a priest in the order of the king of righteousness. He is a priest in the order of a king. And we look at Melchizedek and we don't understand where he came from, who he is for sure. Is he just pointing to Christ? Is he Christ? And we're left with the same kind of befuddlement that we have when we think about the reality of the Trinity. Just as we think about now as the reality of a priest king, that Jesus is this eternal priest king of righteousness. That Melchizedek is a mysterious thing because we cannot fathom how great he is in his role of high priest because he is eternal beyond our beginning and beyond the the remnant of this earth until it's renewed. He is forever eternal. His priesthood is not like Aaron that is based upon a perishable priesthood. His priesthood is not based on perishable things. Even the staff that we'll learn more about later on that Aaron had that budded, that showed forth his particular appointment was only residing on that eternal priesthood of Jesus Christ. So what is our response to this greatness? What is this response of understanding how this Megan, this Meg priest, this Meg great high priest? Well, how do we respond in Matthew 13? 45 through 46, it says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. Remember what the word means in Latin? It means pearl. Who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all he had and bought it. The right response to the reality of our great high priest is to surrender in full, in gratitude and in service. To be glad that we are among the men in whom he represented in his appointed action before the Father. That we are those who have this great value of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Romans 4 verse 24. The righteousness of Christ, it will be counted to us who believe him, believe in him. Who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. That's so simple, that last phrase there. He was delivered up for our trespasses. He became sin. He became beset with weakness and raised for our justification. This Melchizedek priest, This king of righteousness grants us his righteousness for those who believe in him, for those who are willing to sacrifice and sell it all, who are also willing to to toss it all aside, all of the clinging on to idols and earthly things, all of our sins, willing to let those go because we have found this great pearl of tremendous value in the righteousness of Christ. Let us pray.